in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 as a reminder of where we've been, and then this morning we're going to be dealing with verses 3 to 8. In verse 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What we have here in those verses is a continuation of verses 1 and 2. If Paul was saying, I want you to be transformed by the power of God, God will transform you, metamorphose you into something brand new, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. For what purpose? Is it just to say, I've been transformed? Or is it to say, I am transformed for something? And look at the first word in verse 3. It actually says, for. The word for in verse 3 tags the verses 1 and 2. It's out of transformation that we're able to do the rest of what we're talking about. And so Paul has a lot to say about transformed living. And so let's start with this. Pastor Tim shared a message, I believe it was entitled, Inside Out, Being Transformed in verse 1 and 2. We're not talking this morning about the transforming on the inside. What we're actually saying is, how does what happens on the inside actually come out? And what does it look like if transformation on the inside actually does come out? What does it come out as? Well, Paul reminds us and tells us that it comes out in acts of service. It comes out in acts of worship. So you may be this morning caught up in a busy life. And and if there's anything I hear on the streets and in my own life is, and I heard it this morning, not busy, but crazy busy. We live busy lives, and you know what? In our busyness, we lose, we lose, we lose a sense of meaning and purpose. Have you been there? Have you been there where you've been so busy you don't know why you're busy? Have you been so busy at life that you don't remember the purpose of why you are here, what you breathe air for, why you get up in the morning, and it has nothing to do with going to work? It has nothing to do with taking care of your family. You actually, as a believer, are to wake up for the glory of God. We get so busy, we forget that. And Paul is reminding us in this section, and I pray that this message this morning encourages you in your busyness 
in all that you do that you know God is using you. Because if you ever forget that God is using you, if you don't think that God is using you, guess what? You feel deflated and you have no purpose in life. We must know that God is using us. We must know that God wants to use us and He's equipping us for ministry. And so we're going to look closely at these verses. In fact, a commentator, Everett H. or Everett F. Harrison, stated this when I was looking at these verses. He made the statement that service is the proper sequel to worship. Service is the proper sequel or the continuation of worship. And so that's what we're going to look at as we look. All right, here we go. There are three main points in these verses, verses 3 to 8. The first point is this. Transformation produces humility. Transformation produces, erupts humility. What do I mean by that? How you think about yourself, how you think about yourself in relationship to God and His church is critical. The point is in this verse 3, when Paul says, for through the grace given to me, Paul says, by the gospel working in me, I say to you, to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted a measure of faith. It sounds like Paul is wanting us to have a clear mind about how did you get to this point? How did you become a believer? What has caused transformation? It is not your own doing. You did not transform yourself. God has transformed you. And so it is God that is gifting you. It is God that is working in you. And so one way of translating verse 3, listen to this. In this single verse, Paul uses a Greek word like four or five times. See if you can catch it. If, it. if it was read like this, do not super think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober thinking. Paul's obviously concerned about how we think. <laughs> Paul is concerned about if we should think of ourselves not so high to think that we have arrived, we are God's blessing, rather than He is our blessing. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We did not deserve what God has given us. And so we should think humbly. So the, one of the, the products of transformation... For somebody who has been transformed by the gospel of Christ, they don't go around bragging about themselves. What they do is they go around bragging about Jesus. They go around talking about the transformation. I can't believe that I'm saved. I can't believe that God can forgive me, that He has forgiven me. That's amazing to me. So a product of transformation is humility, recognizing the application of who you are in Christ Jesus. Even Paul said, by the grace given to me. Do you see that in verse 3? Paul said, by the grace given to me, I'm telling you. 
Paul said, I could brag about who I am. But Paul says, I am nothing. It's by the grace of God that I'm the Apostle Paul. And so Paul sets it up just like what we ought to be. It's by God's grace that we are transformed. When when Paul speaks to everyone, do you see that? He says, I say this to every one of you. He's saying that God desires to use you, every one of you, by gifting you. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts this morning. But He's gifted every one of you. He transformed you, and He is gifting you. And He is empowering you. Look at what Paul says. To every one of you that has been transformed, God is gifting you. God is empowering you. He did not just transform you for the moment. He's transformed you for something. And it is because of His grace and for His glory. Paul commands everyone not to think too highly. The book of Romans was written to Jews and and Gentiles alike who were struggling with favoritisms and popularities and and all these different uh, racial differences and things. And Paul says, hey, there's no room for that in the kingdom. And so Paul says, we're all being transformed. Every one of us. It does not matter where you've come from. But if you've been transformed by Christ, then we have a mission. And we have a unifying thing. And so that leads us to think about how can you avoid thinking too highly of yourself? Well, here's two suggestions. And John Piper uh, brings this out in, in one way. You should humble yourself. In fact, the Scriptures tell us, humble yourselves in the sight of God. Humble yourself so God does not have to humble you. You may believe that you deserve credit for what God has given you, what He's doing in you. You dare not take credit for God's grace. Neither saving grace or serving grace. If you're a a teacher, if you're one of the leaders within the church, if you're a deacon, if you're you're part of of a team or a team leader here or you're on a mission, don't ever take credit that you are all that, that God has been blessed by you. And as a pastor here, I'm telling you, I need to remind myself all the time to say, you know, God, how in the world have you called me into ministry years ago and continued to use me and blessed me with a wonderful church here? I don't deserve this. Um, Humble yourselves on a daily basis, every one of you. Your sins are forgiven by God. That humbles you, doesn't it? It humbles me. He loves you too much to let you be arrogant. And by the way, God can humble you. Um, If you don't humble yourself, if you don't remind yourself of the gospel, if you don't remind yourself that you're just like your neighbor, you're just like everyone else, the only difference is that God has rescued you or else you'd be where? God rescued you. You need to be humbled by that. Or, secondly, you should recognize that you're fortunate to be part of a church. You're fortunate to be in the kingdom. You ought to be humbled by the fact that you're among other believers right here this morning. First Baptist, Nick I believe, is a great church. (laughs) It is a great church. This is a great church. It's a great church because God is here. I know some of you thought it was a great church because you're here. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a great church because God is here and because God is in you. God is using you. God is calling you. God is reaching out to this world through you. This is a great church because of God. And you ought to be humbled to be part of it. Recognize the church is a blessing to you. Secondly, what about transformation? It produces humility. When we're transformed, it ought to humble us. Because it is not in our doing, it is God. Second of all, transformation produces unity. It should produce unity. Look at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5, for as in one body we have many members. You get the idea of one, but many. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members one of another. Transformation produces unity. Um, Paul's favorite description of the church, hands down above all else, is the body. The body. The physical body is an illustration of what Paul is saying is the beauty of the church. It is one body, many members, but all members working together to form one body. Why does Paul choose that as his number one way of illustration? Well, here's a couple of illustrations along with it. My hand does a really good job of picking up a fork or a spoon. And my mouth tends to open up and receive food. So there's a hand and a mouth working together. Guess what? My, my mouth chews the food. I swallow that. And from the inside, all the rest of my body benefits, benefits from that use of a fork and food and mouth and all of that. You see how everything works together? Same thing happens if I refuse to do this. If I refuse to take in food and say, my hand, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. My mouth stays closed. Guess what? The whole body suffers. I know that's like basic anatomy. You have to eat to live, but guess what? You ever thought of your little pinky finger helping you survive? Ever think about the parts of your body that are critical? You don't even see them. My vital organs inside my body are invisible to you. Could it be that way in the church that the most vital person in the church is not up here? It could be that our vital parts of the body are among us in relationship with one another. Guys, the body is the perfect example of many members but one purpose, one body of Christ. It's a beautiful picture of what transformation. Can you imagine what would it be like if our church grabbed onto this idea of being transformed and understanding what it means and functioning as one body, many members, everybody relating to each other in Christ Jesus, living out the transformed life together? It'd be glorious is what it would be. Every member connected to each other. Do you realize how vital that is? You may not even recognize how connected you are. Uh, Beth and I were running around uh, town yesterday. We were, we were just getting out and enjoying the day. 
And I, I don't know if she remembers me saying, but there, I saw a sign that said, Connected Church. I'm like, how can they take our word? Connected. You know why the, most churches, I mean, there's churches all over the internet, by the way, that have the same motto, the same words that we use here. Connect. Get connected. Connect to God. Connect to each other. Connect to the world. Because it's a great word. It's a word that says we are connected. And as members, you know you're connected to Christ. I hope you know that. I hope that you have that connection. If you're, not, if you're disconnected from Christ, listen to the gospel and come to Christ. Get connected. But that's not all you're connected to. You're connected to the church. If you're a member here, if you're a member of a church somewhere, you're connected to that. But guess what? It's better than that. Connect to God, connect to the church. It says connect to one another. You see this in this verse where it says that we are many members, members one of another. We're member to member connected. Turn to your neighbor next to you and say, I'm connected to you. We are connected. We're connected in Christ. And the body life, this transformed life, isn't it, isn't it amazing to know that not only are you transformed, but you could be sitting next to a person that also is transformed? Next to a person that's transformed? Next to a person that's transformed? Maybe next to a person that is desiring God to transform them. We are interconnected. And so, what does that mean when it says transformation leads to humility, but transformation should lead to unity? Let's talk about the oneness of the church, the oneness that we all, working together for the common good of the gospel. There should be unity even though we're not all the same. We're not all the same. God never calls us to be homogenized, to act like, think like, and talk like each other. God calls us in where we are, in who we are, in the personality that we are, in the outwardness or the inwardness that we are, in the shyness that we are, in the boldness that we are, in all that we are, to come together as one. Now that's no small task. How in the world, are, is it just going to happen that we're one because we want to be one? Have you tried that? You tried to love everybody just in the flesh? Does anybody ever get under your skin? I get under my own skin. How do we become one? We're diverse. We're different. May I say we are strange. We are weird. Peculiar would be the word. We're unique. God made you unique. And yet he says, but you will be one. It's kind of like marriage. The two shall become one. And many of you couples are still working on that one. That how can two become one? How can all of us in a body of Christ become one? Transformation is the key. Transformed life. We have more in common than we have differences. The greatest common factor is that you've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the truth of Jesus. And so that unites us. It should unite us. And um, there is a problem when the church is not in one, in unity, in accord. 
There's a problem with that because it does not reflect the transformed life. Number three, Christian transformation, transformed to serve. Let's talk about producing, it produces ministry, not only humility, not only unity, but it produces ministry. This is what happens from the inside out comes humility, comes unity, and now comes ministry. It's the responsibility of every believer to use his gifts. Look at this in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Do you see this in verse 6? Having gifts. It's not that you might have a gift. It's not that you might someday have a gift. It's having gifted you. In the transformation comes the gifting. You are gifted by God just like you are transformed by God, just like you were saved by God, you are gifted by God. And it says everyone, notice this, it says everyone having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, different gifts. Now, that should not surprise you. How come we don't all have the same gift? All right, how would that work? What if we all had the same gift? We would be so lacking in all the rest. Um, God is putting together a church, gifted, transformed, guess what? To reach the world. It takes giftings. It takes every one of us serving and ministering and seeking the Lord, big or small, remember, little finger or, or big feature, whatever it is. It does not matter the gift. It matters that you are gifted. And it matters that you know you are. What does it say primarily in verse 6? Not only having gifts that differ by the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul is saying right out front that we are all gifted. He's telling you that. He's not even even putting that up if we are gifted. He's saying since we are gifted. The point is not the gift. The point is using it. The point is using it, not looking for it and trying to find what it is. It is using it, that you use the gift. Yes, you have to find it. Yes, you need to know what it is. But the the real thrust is, because this is not an exhaustive list of of gifts. You're not going to find, well, wonder where I am on the list. It's not a complete list that we're going to look at. And so let's talk about how do we use our gifts. The transformed life produces ministry. Well, first of all, we got to find out what is a spiritual gift. One person has said, it is any aspect of your temperament, your position, or any ability given by God, experienced in an unusual measure, through which you are generally used by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of His people. Now, that's a long definition of a spiritual gift. The point of this is you're gifted to bring glory to God and also to enjoy the transformation and for others to benefit from your transformation. The gift help, giftings help you locate your niche or your place or your role. Interesting, in the Greek word, the word gift actually is charismata. That's the word gift, charismata, for which we get the word charismatic. 
but it's a good word. Grace gifting. It's a gifting by grace. All of God's gifts are grace gifts. The charisma, the grace, charismata, the gift, it's a graced gift. And so, I'm not, I'm not, this morning, I am not afraid of the word charismata, charisma, charismatic. Because if we're talking about the gifting of the Holy Spirit within a member, within a person that's been transformed, that's exactly what God is saying. That we would be gifted by His Spirit to glorify Him. There are three benefits to exercising your spiritual gifts. Number one, God will be glorified. If you're transformed by God, if you are transformed, your desire, I'll tell you exactly what your heartbeat is for. If you are transformed this morning, your heartbeat is to glorify God. I know this. I know this. Your heart beats to glorify God, and if it's not, you're not transformed. Can I say that? I'm not saying in a moment's notice when you're down and discouraged. I'm saying the, ult- the ultimate goal of your life, having been transformed, is to bring glory to God. And so, therefore, this gifting, why would we want to serve? Why would we want to do anything? It's not for ourselves. It is for the glory of God. We don't teach so that we can be called the teacher. We teach because we want to bring glory to God. We want the glory of God to be found. We don't serve and have people have hospitality and have people over so that we can be popular We would serve and have hospitality so that God would be glorified through our hospitality. On and on we go. The number one reason you're gifted is to glorify God, to give glory to God. Number two reason, why would we exercise our gift? Others will be edified. Now, I'm using some words this morning, glorified and edified. God be glorified, others be edified, built up, encouraged. If you'd realize that if you're not exercising your spiritual giftings, if you're not working in the... And I'm not talking about a job. I'm just saying sensitive to the Spirit. That others are not being built up by you, by the glory of God, for the glory of God. We are to use the giftings. And let me remind you, you may be sitting here going, I don't think I'm gifted. Did you not hear what the Scriptures say? The Scriptures will argue with you and say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You've been transformed. You've been brought into the kingdom. What, for no purpose? No, for a great purpose. And I'm gifting you. God says, I've gifted you. Well, what is it? I bet you've already operated in your gift and you don't even know it. I bet many of you have already operated in your gift. You didn't have to take a test. You didn't have to take an analysis and go down through and say, I wonder what my gift is. And you take an analysis. I don't like those particular instruments because I don't think the giftings are all exhaustive in the Scriptures. And what are we going to do? Put a test together that says these four and no more? That's the only gifts you could possibly have. No, I I think what you do is God gives you joy 
in what you're doing and where you're at and where you're serving and how you serve, and there is a joy in the midst of the giftings. So why do you exercise your gift? God is glorified, others are edified, and look at number three. This is in your bulletin. Number three is this. You will be satisfied. You'll be satisfied when you're operating in your gift and when you feel like God, and you know that God is using you, And I know a lot of you are looking at me like, I don't think God can use me. You're not listening. God has transformed you. Every one of you, Paul says, every one of you that has been transformed is gifted. And so God will be glorified. Others will be edified. And number three, you will be satisfied. It's not a burden to serve in your giftings. It's not a burden to glorify God for the believer. It should satisfy you, and some of you are looking for that type of fulfillment. What is my place? What is my role? I hear that a lot from people. What is my purpose? Where can I fit in? And we have opportunities. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to have a lot of opportunities put right out in front of you. Now, that's not to make you feel guilty for this or that. It's not to make you uh, feel like you're not doing enough. It's not about working and working and huffing and puffing. And Have you ever been on that kind of treadmill? I got to do more, do more so I can get more from God, so I can do more and get more from God and do more. That's not what this is. What this is, God has gifted you with your personality, with your love of Him, and your love for others, and your abilities, and your personality, and all of those things, God has gifted you for a purpose, and you can find that here. Every church gives you opportunities to serve in lots of ways. And you will be satisfied. I don't think there's any more fulfillment in life than to know that God has used you in some small way, big way. Any use by God is big. If God has used you, to bring a smile to someone in a godly way, in a way that encourages them in Christ. It's huge. You ought to feel good about that. You ought to be satisfied to know God is good. So let's, let's look specifically at uh, using these gifts. The point of the spiritual gifting is that they be used. So some of these gifts are manifested in the realm of speaking. You're going to see Paul say, there are some, verse, some giftings that are speaking. And some of you might be nervous at that. Probably is you're not necessarily gifted then. Some of you are like, you know, I think that that'd be something maybe God is working in me. But not all of them are speaking gifts. In fact, the majority of them are not. So that means maybe there's more workings among the body of Christ, both in the speaking and the non-speaking gifts. In other words, is there enough gifts for everybody? Is there enough ministry for everyone to be involved in Participating? Yes. I said earlier, these are not, I don't believe this is an exhaustive list both here or any other part of the Scriptures. I, I'm not sure that, that uh, God wants us to just buttonhole the gifts. I think God is more interested in us using, being sensitive to Him within the giftings and a little bit of a knowledge of what these giftings are. And so let's, let's take a close look at the giftings. In verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, let's look at this word prophecy. 
This has been a challenge to, to deal down and drill down on the Scriptures and, and what is Paul saying. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Prophecy in a simple form, the best simple way of saying what prophecy is, is the ability to receive and proclaim a message for God. That is what it was in the Old Testament. That is what it was in the New Testament. And so let's take a look at, is that meaning that we have prophets today? Um, is it okay to say that Pastor Tim or Pastor Gordon or Pastor Mike are our prophets? Well, I believe there's a special prophet office before the Scriptures was, was closed and completed. We needed a direct, somebody had to speak on behalf of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That's the prophet. And in, in Paul's writing to Romans here, the whole New Testament had not been put together yet, and yes, there were people having a prophetic gift that said, thus says the Lord. Now we have a completed Scripture, and guess what we get to do? We get to take the Scriptures that already say, thus say the Lord, right here. And so I believe that the gift of prophecy in terms of the foretelling of something to come has been completed, and yet there is a foretelling of the boldness of the Scriptures as a gifting of prophecy. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's something that, as we think about this, is that gift a gift for now? Well, in yes and no, not in the sense that you would have like an Isaiah and, a Jer and all the other prophets, but in the terms of prophecy proclaiming boldly the Word of God. Let's look at this other giftings. And by the way, Paul is saying in that gift of prophecy, he says in proportion to his faith. He's not talking about because he's saved. He's saying that this, I'm gonna, God's going to give you the ability to work that gift. He's going to give you a measure of faith. Maybe your scripture says a measure of faith. That is enough faith to work that gift. And here it is. Paul is saying that they must use their prophetic gift to serve God and the church rather than themselves. He's not to speak beyond what God has revealed. Does that happen today? Do you see anybody speaking not about the Word, but some new Word? That is not what God is saying. God is saying, this is my Word, and a prophet will never, ever, within that gift, go beyond the Word. To go beyond the Word is to go where? Away from God. So be careful. Be warned. These giftings are not to do your own thing. These giftings are to do God's things through you. Through you. Number two. First gift is the gift of prophecy. The second gift listed here. It says if you're going to serve in serving. You're going to use your gift in serving. Now, serving is an example of providing practical help to meet the needs of others. Having compassion, meeting of needs. I would remind you of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus came as an example of what it looks like to serve people. And so if you're in that gifting of service, 
It can come out in lots of ways. Maybe in the workplace. You might not think you're doing much of anything, but I know many of you have said, you know, I just try to be a light in my workplace. Yeah. Serving in the workplace. Serving up the gospel. Serving some way, somehow, some way, somehow people know you love Jesus in some doesn't mean you're a preacher. It just simply means that you're a follower of Christ and you're serving. Maybe it's the meeting of needs. Some of you are so quick, so good. Your answer is yes before the question. Hey, could you help? Yes. Could you help? Yes. Could you help here? Yes. Hey, are you available? Somebody's moving. Do you have a church? Yes, I'll be there. Gift of service. Do you see this? What about the gift of teaching? Teaching. He who teaches, let him teach. Teaching is, not, is to understand and communicate God's Word in a clear and relevant manner. Clear and relevant manner. Um, teachers are faithful, men and women who teach all age groups. In the church, yes. In homes, parents, yes. In homes with neighbors, with others, yes. Teachers, in the, in the break room, you could be a teacher in the break room. That doesn't mean you have a book out and everybody has homework. It means that you're teaching. You're saying something with relevance. You're teaching. Teaching is causing others to learn, helping others learn. And, and teaching is one learner telling another learner. And so the gift of teaching is critical. A classroom with a gifted teacher. Think about it. If the giftings are there and the teachings are there, relevance is there, practicalities are there, it doesn't mean that the teacher is better than the student. It just simply means he's gifted by God. They're gifted by God. You've had conversations with people. Haven't you had conversations with people and you just go, wow, that really ministers to me. What I love The fact that we're friends... And if I have a prayer partner, many of you know, B.J. Chapman. B.J. Chapman is, is not only a friend, but sometimes he's, he drifts into teaching me. Because he's gifted as a teacher. You have taught people. Do you have any idea, those of you who have spoken the word, and if you're gifted in teaching, you have no idea the impact that you could have just by speaking in that gift. What about the fourth gift? This is a gift I believe Paul has, the gift of exhortation. You find it in verse 1. Paul says, I exhort you, I beg you to present your bodies. As a, that's exhortation. Paul is using it. He who exhorts, let him exhort. And by the way, if you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the, I mean, just like this, if you have the gift of exhortation, what Paul is saying, whatever gift you have, Use it. Use it. Don't put yourself and ask to be put on a pedestal. Just simply use your gift. Let God use you. By the way, not all gifted teachers have to have a classroom. Need to have a group of people in a room. Just think, I'm trying to help you think. By the way, everyone is gifted. Could be prophecy, could be serving, could be teaching, could be exhorting. Exhorting is to encourage, to comfort, to confront, or to instruct others. Exhortation focuses on the application of the truth to everyday life. 
And you ought to thank God if you've ever met an exhorter. If you've ever met somebody that has the gift of exhortation, you ought to go back around and thank them. Gift of exhortation goes like this. I don't think that's what God wants in you. What do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. Here's what God says, and here's what you're doing, and you're not doing what God says, so you need to change. And there's no arguing with a, with a person that's gifted in exhortation. They are exhorting you with the truth. It's the truth. Can you, and if you argue with the truth, you're arguing against the Word. Now, I'm not saying that they're perfect. I'm just saying in their exhortation, they want you to come right with God, get right with God. How many of you thank God for people in your life that brought you back, that helped bring you back to God because they exhorted you? Many of you have operated in that gift. You don't know why. You don't know how. But man, sometimes something happens and you, it builds up in you the truth of God. You will not let the truth be unsaid. You've got to speak the truth. That's a gift of exhortation. It's not so that you can look powerful. It's like, I know what you don't. It's simply saying, I love God and let me love you with the truth. You're gifted. We need that, church. This church needs exhortation. We need teaching. We need the gift. We need all the giftings to work. One body, many members. What about the gift of giving? I think this one is misunderstood. I don't know that it's simply giving money at all. Some of you thought, oh, the gift of giving, that means I don't have enough money, so I don't have the gift of giving. I don't have a big bank account, I don't have a big gift of giving. It's not simply money. It's giving of your time. It's giving of, of making uh, things available for people, giving of your home, giving people a ride, uh, helping people in any way that would allow you to use your resources to help another, that is the gift of giving. If you want to say, well, I have a, a pickup truck, does that help? I've got a little trailer, does that help? I'd be glad to let you use that. It's a gift of giving. Not only just for the menial things, but it's a gift of giving when people have hard times and say, I want to give you this, but I'm not just giving it because I have it. This is, I gave this to God. Everything I have is God's. And so I'm going to let you whatever, and I want you to be reminded that this is from God. I have the privilege many times of helping in this church and giving of benevolence to people in need. And I really hope that there's never been a time, I pray that there was, maybe I failed a few times, but I believe, I try to make a point every time to give and to say, this is not money or this is not help given by this church. This is help and money given by God to you, to help you. And they might want to thank the church, but they need to thank God. Because the people here, all of you that gave, give unto God. And so God is giving. And so the giving goes through the church. The giving goes through you. And so the gift of giving is, is critical. And really, the gift of giving is not that, that anyone should say, I give more than somebody else or, or that it, it's because I feel good when I give. It's not about you feeling good. It's not about a guilt giving. I feel guilty if I don't give. You know, that is so lame. You need to give for the joy of God and you need to give because to glorify God 
to edify the person, and to be satisfied in your relationship with God. It has nothing to do with guilt. It has everything to do with gifting and ministry. What about this number six? The sixth gift Paul lists here is the gift of leadership. He who leads to lead with diligence. Or as it says in this translation, to, to lead with zeal, diligence. Well, why would the gift of leadership need to be tagged with diligence? Because sometimes if you have the gift of leadership, sometimes you tend to just rest in leadership and just say God's gifted and not use it to lead. Uh, the whole point of all these gifts is that you're using it. Not that you have a particular, it's that you're using what God has given you. Are you using what God has given you? And somebody's like, well, I don't think God has given me. We already, the Scripture said God has given you. Discover it, pray for it, get out and, and serve and minister. Not in, not in a guilt way. Please don't hear that these are job assignments. What Paul is saying is a transformed life produces ministry to others. It produces, and it's an act of worship. So the gift of leadership. Leadership is to motivate, coordinate, oversee others in ministry. Leaders are called to exercise diligence and zeal in their leadership. And uh, so they have to be watchful that they're not just simply causing other, wanting others to do so they can sit back and do nothing. That's not a leader. A leader is somebody that comes alongside, helps others, and say, let's go, let's together, let's do something. Um, lastly, Paul says a gift is possibly the gift of mercy. The one who does acts of mercy, may he do them cheerfully, with cheerfulness. Mercy is to perceive people's hurts and gently and lovingly console them, love them. To show mercy is to care for anybody who is in need or in distress. Have mercy upon them, or the disabled, or the sick, or the dying. Mercy is not to be shown reluctantly, or by any means it should not be patronizing. Can you see how these gifts can go wrong? I have the gift of mercy. I'm going to show mercy upon you because I am so high and lifted up. I will have mercy upon you because you're so lowly and I am so gifted. That is so wrong. Don't patronize somebody who's struggling. A, mer a person with mercy is going to struggle with them. Mercy is not saying I'm going to give you a handout of mercy because I'm stronger than you. I'm better than you. Mercy comes and says, I'm just like you. Mercy comes, it's okay. Mercy comes with, I know you're hurting. Mercy is somebody, some of you are dying for somebody with the gift of mercy to come alongside you. Mercy comes when somebody's lonely. Mercy comes when you need a friend. Mercy comes when you're in the hospital, yes. When you're there, yes, yes. Mercy comes when somebody's having a bad day and somebody sends them an email. Have mercy upon all of us. Those of you who are gifted in mercy, please have mercy on us, all of us here. We need you. We need all of you. Do it cheerfully. 
And I believe this last thing in verse 6, I mean in verse 8, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I think you can intermingle a lot of these gifts and what Paul is saying is use them, use them, don't abuse them, and then do it cheerfully, do it wonderfully, do it as to God, do it with joy, give with joy, have mercy with joy, teach with joy, lead with joy, prophesy with joy, do these things with joy, cheerful, not reluctant. Don't say, well, the pastor's told me. Uh, That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's a gift by God, every one of you, transformed for a purpose. You're transformed for a purpose. So when you're functioning in your gift or ministry, you should have joy in the middle of it. So there it is, verses 3 through 8. Transformed life comes out in three ways. Humility, unity, and ministry of all kinds. Ministry of all kinds. Humility first, then unity maintained. And in that humility and unity, we serve. That is a beautiful description of a very, very strong church, a church that understands who we are in Christ, how we are many members but we're one, and how we're all gifted and we're all just seeking to glorify God in whatever ministries. There's no greater greater gifts than others. We're all just the body of Christ. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So let's conclude with some challenges. Here's the challenges. Ask the Lord to reveal to you His gift. It's a gift of grace. What does that mean? It's a gift of grace. It means you can't manufacture it. You can't say, well, I'm going to go study up how to serve. You don't. The giftings of God are given. They're given by grace. And how you can express them. Ask God to show you what He has gifted you for in order to strengthen the body of Christ. Right here, First Baptist Nixon. What part can you serve in a role here? And not only here, if you're part of another, if you're visiting with us today and you're part of a church, how can you serve there? What is your giftings? Before that, you need to practice Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Make sure you're transformed. And be a living sacrifice. Here's three things you can do. I want to ask you, challenge you with. Do you realize who you are in Christ Jesus? Do not think more highly than you ought to think. Do you realize that God has rescued you out of darkness and into light? Every one of us that's been transformed, every one of us, we know God has rescued us. And we're full of a church of people. You're sitting next to people who've been transformed. They've been brought out. And so we need to always know where we came from. We came out of sin into righteousness. Do you realize your interconnectedness to one another in the body? Do you realize you're connected to one another? Do you, are you working to unify or are you saying, well, we could do this and this and I don't care who does what, I don't like what they do and I don't like what they do. If you're picking the part the church, then you're not doing what Paul is telling us to do, that we're one body, many members. Diverse unity. Diverse unity. Yes, diverse, but yes, unity. 
Are you producing unity? Are you helping unity happen? And then finally, what spiritual gifting strengths have been given to you by the Lord? And again, if you don't know that, if, you, if you're unsure, just continue to ask the Lord for that. Don't stress over it. God doesn't want you to stress over that. Do you think God wants you to wring your hands and sweat bullets over, I don't know my gifting, and God, why don't you show me my gifting? What are you holding out on me? God's not holding out on you. Rest in Him, trust Him, and use the giftings and ask God, knowing He's gifted you, to step out in faith and love people. And you'll find that gift will follow, will right be with you. The gift will be there. What spiritual gifting and strengths have been given to you by the Lord? How can you best give those away? I like, I don't, hopefully up on screen. Yeah, you see this? How are you serving the body by the grace of his gifting? The, the second thing I didn't put on the screen is, how can you best give the gift away? Give it away, everything. If you teach, then teach. If you encourage, then encourage. If it's this, then do it. Give it away, give it away. Don't just know it, give it. Gift of mercy, don't hold that. We need that. Exhortation, don't hold back. We need it. Give it. Every gift that you have, give it away. Give it away. Serve. Use it. Use it. Use it. This series that we're in, we're in a series called Transformation, Inside Out. What I've shared with you this morning is my small part of taking verse 3 to verse 8. And it's talking about all those things of the inside transformation. What does it look like when it comes out? And I think it wants to break out. It wants to come out and you will glorify God and you will edify others and you will be satisfied when it comes. And so let's just pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement to say that we are all gifted in Christ Jesus. When we are transformed, when we are adopted by you into your family, we are given a gift or gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. May we use those, as Paul says, use them. And to see how God can be glorified, others will be edified. And we will be satisfied by doing that. God, thank you for changing us, giving us a purpose. We're not wandering around. We're on a mission. We're, on, we're, we're living life on purpose. It's your purpose. So God, show us where we fit, how we fit, what we are to do, all the giftings, Lord. May you reveal them exercise them through us. May we just be open to say, God, I want you to use me. And then have our eyes wide open for how you're going to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.